everybody, welcome back to Rambling Runoff. I am your host, Robert Rios, and you're listening to the show that rambles on forever and runs all day, every day up in here. Yes, yes, welcome back to the show, everybody, and welcome back anybody new that's been listening. Thank you so much for stopping by. Yes, we are a quirky sports show, but hey, I give you the information that I believe you should be hearing. So, yeah. We got a lot to unpack in today's show. Um, we got a lot. Once again, the NFL playoffs continuing. Um, we were able to check out some of the U.S. men's national team games that were going on this past January in their January camp. Um, for the warm-up portion of the show, uh, we're going to be kind of discussing what's been going on with the refereeing the past couple of games. and Specifically in the NBA and NFL, it's been kind of sus and a little worrying the past couple of years in my opinion. And then in the rundown, of course, we got a bunch of stuff we're going to unpack. You know, quick hits, a little bit of house cleaning business. But uh, yeah, we're going to see where this uh, show goes. But yeah, um, once again, I will be writing and going solo in this episode. So I hope you guys don't mind for another rambling runoff with me, of course. The voice and host of the show. You know, the guy that's always here on every episode. So, uh, yeah, um, I guess before we get into the sports rambling, we're just going to just talk a little bit. Past week's been really good, a little chilly around my area. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned before we were able to go, or excuse me, to see some U.S. men's national team footy, which was cool. Um, nothing much new to go over in my life, but... Um, it's been going. Um, I said I would say it was a better week in my opinion. Uh, I felt like last week's episode was pretty good. Uh, it was interesting. I mean, it was the first episode I did by myself. I thought it was all right, and uh, the audio was pretty crisp in my opinion. So, trying out some new things here at Rambling Runoff. So, I'm kind of proud of myself. Pat myself on the back a little bit, you know. But uh, yeah, um, that's what been that's what's been going on in my neck of the woods. But uh, hey, if you guys are listening, let me know what's going on in your life, you know? We're all in this together. But uh, hey, enough of my my life story. Um, let's start doing the sports rambling. So yeah, um, to go over some things that have gone on this past week. Um, the NFL playoffs have concluded, kinda. Uh, the <laughs> NFC and AFC championship games came and went very quickly. And I mean, if unless you've been living or sleeping under a rock, um, you already more or less know who's going to the Super Bowl. But of course, for dramatic reasons, I will be going through the motions on what occurred this past weekend on Sunday. So we had the Philadelphia Eagles squaring off against the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. And we also had the Kansas City Chiefs who hosted the Cincinnati Bengals and the AFC Championship game. So, in turn, we had the number one, no, excuse me, number one and number two seed in the NFC Championship game and the one and the three seed in the AFC Championship game. Uh, NFC game, you could say, was uh, two of the best teams in the conference going at it. And the AFC, you had a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. So, Coming in, you would think, oh, we got, I mean, you have the best option of watching either game. And I'll just fast forward a little bit here. Both games, um, as important as they were, were both dramatic in two different ways and in no way were terrible. Um, when I say terrible, I mean they were not boring. They were not stagnant. They both had a little their own pizzazz to the game and to the sport, which I'll get to in a little bit. But all in all, they were entertaining in their own right. One was a blowout, oddly to say, and one was well a very close game, which I know I like to see. Um, but moving on now, uh, the first game on Sunday was the NFC Championship game with the Niners going out to Philly. And like I said, one was a blowout and one was a close game and this one was the blowout unfortunately 
However, it was a controversial, well, it was an interesting blowout in the sense that you, throughout the course of the game, you had to like, all eyes were on the Niners side of, of the bench, um, on offense specifically, because in the course of the beginning of the game, you know, you had the ni- the Niners with Brock Purdy leading the way. And out of all the things that could have happened, a scene of unfortunate, misfortunate events, Brock Purdy gets hurt in one of their first drives, which basically killed the game. Not in a boring way, but killed the game for the Niners as they, you know, Brock Purdy was their third string quarterback coming in for Jimmy G. And then now you have to have your fourth quarterback of the season come in and play was just a nightmare phantasmic for these guys and you couldn't believe it um also before i forget um the final score was what i got here uh 31 to 7 <laughs> uh, i would say it was anything but a competitive game but it was filled with drama nevertheless but other than that um i wouldn't say that was the only reason why the eagles destroyed dismantled the niners uh, you can't just say because this is what I hate about football as well is where they'll start being like, oh, we lost because we lost our one player. Okay, fool. Like, I get it. You know, unless you have Peyton Manning, who is super duper smart on the ball, knows what to do, high quality player, basically is a coach on the field. You know, all right, yeah, I, I, I could kind of see that. However, you got 11 v 11. There's guys out there always trying to make a play so i mean it was unfortunate i think who was the guy for the Niners? i think josh johnson came in for the niners as their backup um he did his best (laughs) but um the eagles were just they smelled blood in the water you know they outplayed them they outcoached them and more impressively they outmuscled the next best team in the nfc which if they're if they're destroying the best in their conference, what's gonna happen in the Super Bowl? Um which by the way, they're gonna be making their fourth Super Bowl appearance in franchise history and second in the last six, which I believe was in twenty seventeen when they beat the Patriots. Um the Eagles rushed for four touchdowns, two by Miles Sanders, um, which, you know, was <laughs> convincingly which was a convincing victory over an injury plagued 49ers which kind of summed up the game um on the other side san francisco lost you know lost their, their starting quarterback rock Purdy, to an elbow injury which i believe i saw was a mco which i believe is what the term is called you know basically he he hurt a ligament in his arm slash elbow and now he's going to be out for about six months is what I saw, which is ouch. Um, he did come back into the game. However, you could tell he just he couldn't throw the ball. How are you going to throw the ball? He, oh, he hurt his throwing arm, by the way, which was the best part. Um, <laughs> um, it just all kind of came down on them. And the Niners were never able to recover. Um, so, yeah, Josh Johnson comes into the game. And then, ay ay ay. <laughs> he has to exit the game because of concussion. It's like, bruh. Oh, man. So, you had... They went into emergency quarterback mode, which was Christian McCaffrey, which, off the top of my head, I think he went through like one or two passes, which... Oh, man. Poor guy. Um, Poor everybody. Uh, Yeah, Johnson had to exit the game like right before the end of the third quarter due to concussion he just got smacked head bounced off the ground and you could tell he was knocked out bro yep that was never gonna work uh the eagles defense uh defensive unit that paced the league with 70 sacks and had 70 sacks had three and seven qb hits despite limited Drop backs because of the injuries to the Niners quarterback Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson. Um, yeah, it was just a class act performance by the Eagles. 
um, besides the injuries, like I said. Um, but enough of injury quarterback. Uh, <laughs> with the other quarterback on the other side of the ball, we had Jalen Hurts, who finished uh, in the first half with minus one rushing yard, which is weird to say, which marked the lowest first half total in his career as a starting QB. Uh, he ended up with 15 of 25 for 121 yards with no touchdowns or interceptions through the air, but got things going on the ground in the second half, including a one-yard score late in the third quarter to ice the game. I mean, I would say the game was over before that, but hey, it is what it is. Um, the Niners were forced to largely rely on their ground game, like I said, with Christian McCaffrey, with uh, running back Christian, yeah, Christian McCaffrey accounting for their lone touchdown, which was a pretty good touchdown. Uh, he scampered out to the outside, got, I would say, banged up in the shoulder, bounced off the defender, and just ran up the sideline for the TD, which was the only the lone highlight of the day for the Niners. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Niners turning to Josh Johnson was not the best for them in this situation. And having to turn to McCaffrey later on was just devastating. Uh, a little info on Josh Johnson. Yeah, their fourth quarterback of the season. Uh, he was signed from the Denver Broncos practice squad on December 6th. Johnson made his first postseason appearance and starting in the league in 2009, um, but it wouldn't last long. Obviously, he departed early in the third quarter with a concussion, leaving Purdy incapable of throwing the ball down the field to come back in the game. Uh, a little info on McCaffrey's lone, uh, lone quarterback wildcat appearance, whatever you want to call it. He rushed 15 times for 84 yards and the lone touchdown while catching uh, all four of his targets for 22 yards in Sunday's loss. Uh, I would say, and I had to look this up, uh, the pivotal play of the game, uh, i read it out loud, uh, facing forcing three at the 9-35 on the game's opening drive, Eagles coach Nick Sirianni decided to go for it. Hurts lobbed a pass deep down for le- down the left sideline for wideout Devontae Smith, who appeared to make a tremendous diving catch at least in the eyes of the official. But Smith was unsure that he caught it and ultimately uh, got his teammates to the line of scrimmage to try to snap the ball before the 49ers could see a replay and issue a challenge. Smith's ploy worked and the Niners did not challenge, giving the Eagles a first down at San Francisco's 6-yard line. They scored two plays later. Yeah, um, I would probably say that was more of the icing on the cake. So it is what it is. Uh, another offensive threat for the Niners, besides McCaffrey, uh, the Niners wide receiver Debo Samuel got into a skirmish <sighs> with uh, Eagles defensive with the defense near the end of the near of a, of a run and pushing and shoving began between the two teams, and I believe this is where things started to get out of hand. Uh, this was late towards the game, by the way. Um, Eagles DB Kayvon Wallace wouldn't let go of Samuel, even though the Niners offensive lineman Aaron Brooks attempted to dislodge him. This is where Trent Williams had enough of the shenanigans and enough of Wallace, so he simply threw him through the earth's crust and to the middle of earth. <laughs> he just slammed him to the ground, which is a no-no. So, um, yeah, I would say the Niners just frustrated, frustrated late in the game, frustrated the entire game, uh, you know, they couldn't establish any type of rhythm on offense. And with no QB, um, multiple penalties that were uncharacteristic for the Niners just summed up their night. Uh, both Wallace and Williams were ejected from the game. And, you know, the Eagles cruised to the NFC Championship game victory. Uh, it's unsure whether Will- Williams and Wallace uh, are suspended at the moment. But I highly doubt that they will not be suspended. So they will get suspension probably first two games of the season uh if the nfl wants to be a little more aggressive they could you know suspend them probably five or six games you know it's just egregious that you know tempers flared you know the games will blow out just point out the scoreboard at this point 31 to 7 and just call the game but yeah that's the way the cookie crumbled on that night in philadelphia the philadelphia eagles will now be going headed to I believe Super Bowl 57 in Arizona but hey there was another game which was a close game uh you had the Cincinnati Bengals at the number one Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC championship game um 
it was like I said earlier on, it was a rematch of last year's AFC title game. So it was all worth the hype. You had Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, you know, high octane offenses and two really good quarterbacks. Um, a note before I start going more in deep, Mahomes was playing on a high ankle sprain. So you weren't, I believe, you weren't going into this game, you shouldn't have expected Mahomes to run a lot, which kind of came in pivotal towards the end. Um, Mahomes, um, who hurt his ankle at the Jacksonville game, uh, threw for 326 yards and two touchdowns. Even though he was missing three of his wide receivers to injuries by the end, Marquez Valdez-Scantling led with 116 yards and a touchdown, while Travis Kelsey, bad back and all, had seven catches for 78 yards and a score. Yeah, I didn't know about his injury Um, for Kelsey. I was wondering, I'm like, damn, like, hasn't really, hasn't really done much in this game. I mean, yeah, seven catches, 78 yards, but, you know, they're all going to be thrown to the sideline, you know, yards after the catch. And, yeah, 78 yards is not a lot. And, yeah, I mean, he's a big dude. You expect him to get a touchdown, to at least get one on the board. So good on him. Uh, on the other side, for Joe Burrow, uh, he was sacked five times, and you could tell he was wobbly by the end of it. Finished with 270 yards passing to go with a touchdown and two interceptions for the Bengals. Yeah, those sacks and those turnovers really kind of hurt them. Uh, towards the end, you could tell they were scrambling around. Uh, I just hope Burrow doesn't turn into a Brett Favre or, you know, just a gunslinger hoping for the best. I feel like he has really good offensive threats, which, by the way, uh, with him, he had T. Higgins, who had six catches for 83 yards and the score. Uh, the Bengals down the line towards the end of the game had two chances to take the lead. In the fourth quarter. But you know. We're just coming up short every time. Um, oh by the way. The final score was 23-20. to 20. Uh, As I was saying prior to that. Um, they could have taken the lead. The Bengals could have taken the lead twice in the fourth quarter. As the score was just 20-20. to 20, But the Chiefs defense rose to the challenge. And relentlessly pressured Burrow. And yeah. Uh, I believe what they had like. Two minutes. Two minutes and 30 seconds remaining. And they just kept hammering them. Because. Um, and I thought the Bengals, yeah, like I said, I thought the Bengals were going to be close. They had to give the ball up. Then the Chiefs had the ball, but they weren't really, um, you know, moving the ball as well as they usually do. And yeah, it was two minutes and 30 seconds left. Uh, they kept their drive alive with a third and 16 completion to Hayden Hurst. Then Kansas City turned out the pressure and got the ball back following a sack by Chris Jones. So, so yeah. Uh, the Chiefs on defense just were not letting up at all. Huh, it was quite quite a pressure cook of a game in my opinion. Because just down to the line. and uh, Man, I wish I would wrote this down. But uh, apparently Patrick Mahomes has never lost in regulation. And a lot of their wins and losses have come in OT and overtime. So it was going to be interesting to see where this game would uh, turn to. Towards the end, um, like I was saying, Kansas City was struggling to move the ball, uh, the, especially in the second half. Uh, and yeah, the, you had they had to rely on 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 the kicker Butker to to get him the win. And I know I kind of alluded to this earlier. You weren't going to see Patrick Mahomes sprawling and running around at, like crazy, but uh, ay ay ay, I would say a a brain fart of a mistake towards the, towards the end. Uh, I think what the Chiefs were probably just outside the 50-ish yard line, and I think what it was third and so third and not third down, I believe, and I don't know why. It's still mind-boggling to me, in my opinion. But Joseph Asai, God bless his soul chasing down <laughs> a sprinting Patrick Mahomes who should not have been sprinting at all was running for the first down he would have got it but I don't think they were in field goal range at the moment Joseph Asai uncharacteristically as Mahomes steps out of bounds stepping out of bounds stepped out of bounds Pushes Patrick Mahomes into the sidelines. 
don't even think he even actually. No, I'm gonna scratch. I don't even think he even pushed him. He laid a hand on him, which at that point counts as contact out of bounds, illegal play, a flag that moves up the sticks for the Kansas City Chiefs, signing up Butker for the game-winning field goal with three seconds left in the game. And of course, with three seconds left, you can't do much, and the Bengals subsequently lost the game. Ay ay ay. Dramatic as can be for the Cincinnati Bengals, who I believe I, I believe could have won this game, probably should have won this game if you know they would have had a few better offensive um offensive moves and just oh man, like I feel for that guy and I know like his teammates were kinda getting on him and they kinda apologized for it. I mean, you don't have to apologize to him. I feel like as a team if you get upset over something like that bad, like all right, then just voice your opinion. You know, just don't get on him like too bad. I mean, it, w- it was a mistake. It is what it is, but yeah, it's just the way the ball rolled, you know. But uh, yeah, Kansas City came on top, twenty-three to twenty. Uh, the Chiefs are the ninth team to reach the Super Bowl three times in a four-year span, and that now has Cincinnati. Losing their first AFC Championship game. They were previously 3-0, not 3-1 in franchise history. Moving on now. Uh, not into do too much detail now, but we have our Super Bowl set. Number one Philadelphia Eagles versus number one Kansas City Chiefs. The, the two number one teams in the league from each conference. Uh, the Super Bowl will be now found on Sunday, February 12th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the location is State Farm stadium in glenda arizona you can watch the game on fox and probably stream it on fox as well but if you are desperate you can find the game on fubu tv so yeah you got two really good offenses um yeah we're down to the final two teams uh the matchup for super bowl 57 is set and it featured two of the most prolific offenses the nfl has seen this year with patrick mahomes and jalen hurts set to square off in the battle of mvp candidates not only that, but the championship showdown will pit coach, uh, Chiefs coach Andy Reid against his old stomping grounds of Philadelphia, the city in which I would say he built his career around. That's where I remember him from. Um, and then just for fun, yeah, Pro Bowl brothers Travis and Jason Kelsey scoring off against each other for a chance at their second respective Lombardi trophies. So yeah, it should be a fun Super Bowl. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we do get a Super Bowl. Um, I'm already forgetting what I call a podium show. <laughs> there you go, podium show where we just look at the Super Bowl and all the fundamentals and fun stuff that comes from it. So yeah, uh, keep eye out for that. Um, in more sports NFL news, um, don't you guys like news that happens on the spot? Uh, the Texans agreed to terms to hire San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator Dem- Demeco Ryan's as their new head coach. Um, as reported by Adam Scheffner, the Texans and and Ryan's agreed to it. Oh, the Texans and Ryan's agreed to a six-year contract, um, and will become the franchise's sixth full-time head coach. Uh, some background: In his first season, the 49ers allowed the third fewest yards per game, 310, in 2022. San Francisco allowed the fewest points, 16.8, and yards, 300, per game. Ryan's unit also tied for the second most takeaways with 30. Ryan's defense helped lift the 49ers to a 13-4 record in the regular season before they fell this weekend to Philadelphia as the number one seed. So, good on the Texans. Um, Hopefully, they could turn it around. It was not a good season. Oh, look at that. There's more breaking news. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Um, Very quickly, I'm just going to read off from an ESPN article here that I have up on my laptop. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, son of a gun, and the Denver Broncos have agreed to a compensation in return for the Super Bowl winning head coach Sean Payton sources told ESPN's Adam Scheffner what the heck is going on out here alright uh, what else you got uh, the Saints will receive the Broncos 2023 first round pick number 30 overall and their two, 2024 second round pick for Payton and the Saints 2024 third round selection uh, this clears the way for Payton to sign with the Broncos to become the franchise's next head coach the Broncos had traded their first round pick to the Seattle Seahawks 
in last year's blockbuster trade to require Russell Wilson, but then acquired a first-round pick from the Miami Dolphins in the trade that sent Bradley Trubb to Miami last season. The pick originally belonged to the San Francisco 49ers, who sent the pick to Miami in the trade that allowed them to pick Trey Lance in the 2021 draft. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, well, look at that. The Broncos, once again, making moves. Getting Sean Payton to come back to the league, which was rumored for the past couple of months. So good on Sean to get back into the league. And hopefully now working with Russell Wilson uh, and the Broncos, you know, he could turn that program around for a bit. Because, yeah, the Broncos were just, hey, yeah, yeah, you expected a lot, but you got nothing in return. So hopefully, yeah, n- next season they could do a lot better. But, uh, yeah, that was our NFL playoff news recap. Uh, looking forward to the Super Bowl and, I guess now we're looking forward to next season with uh, this late-breaking news. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Moving on now in our program, we got ourselves some soccer stuff to go over. And that's everyone's favorite thing to talk about here and there. But, uh, yeah. In all seriousness, we have the USA January camp recap in which the U.S. played uh, two friendlies out here in L.A., in the Southern California area, in which uh, uh, they suffered a loss and a draw, which was okay. Uh, like I said, we weren't going to panic too much over the results. But uh, it was interesting to see because we had a lot of new faces out there. So, yeah, um, I'm just going to kind of dive into to it a bit and give you guys a little background on what happened this past weekend with these games. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the United States uh, national team, Put a host of young and inexperienced players on display Wednesday night uh, last week in a friendly against uh, Serbia as their, the conclusion of the January camp got underway. The final result, unfortunately, was 2-1 to one, a defeat at BMO Stadium next to the Coliseum in Los Angeles, um, featuring eight international debuts. Um, yeah, opening with the loss was not good, but could have been better. And yeah, this was also their... Um, to start to their 2026 World Cup cycle, basically. Um, their lone goal came from forward Brandon Vasquez, uh, and he has become the 59th U.S. men's national player to score in their debut. Um, I wouldn't say it was the best soccer or football I've seen, but like I said, um, don't panic. <laughs> uh, but you could tell that these guys... You know, they struggled to play. You could tell this was the first time playing with each other. Like, it wasn't bad. Like I like I say, don't look silly. But, um, yeah, it wasn't the prettiest soccer. You would, I, I would have, if I was there. I, I mean, I, I saw it on television. It, I wasn't expecting much, but it is what it is. Uh, I'm just gonna go over the lineup really quick. At goalkeeper, we had Gaga Solina. Um, we had Gomez, we had Jalen Neal, uh, Walker Zimmerman, Julian Gressel, Paxson Pomko, Aiden Morris, was it, Alan Sonora, Kaden Cow, Brandon Vasquez, and we also had Zendejas up as a striker. We had three strikers? What the heck is going on out here? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no wonder why it didn't work. Uh, and also, I hope that we don't we have an interim head coach. Um, I would say, you know, this game was, these games, I should say, were just used for, you know, practice you know getting some guys who haven't played in a while a little bit of a warm-up before the mls season or wherever they're playing at it's not in season so that's why we we had a lot of these new faces um but yeah that 90 minutes performance is probably the deserved result against the equally experienced serbian side who didn't even bring a full roster i think they only brought like 17 people but um the hosts were beating thanks to a slew of mistakes that directly led to the goals um yeah, um, Vasquez's one shot, well, I'd say it was a header, which was assisted by, I believe, Julian Gressel. Um, but yeah, they fell short in those two key moments. Uh, a free kick just before halftime from Luka Ilik broke a weak U.S. wall and leveled the scoring. And then Vileko Simic punished an ugly mistake at the back seconds after the second half restart. So, yeah, a lot to learn from, not, not from... A team aspect, but a lot to learn for these new guys 
who, you know, A, like I said, never played with each other, and B, never played with the U.S., and C, a lot of these guys, a lot of these younger guys still getting their footing. Like Jalen Neal, for example, has barely been called up to his first team. This is the first time he's played first team minutes in like a, a long while, so it was all brand new to him. He had Sonora, who, who I believe just got to America, still getting his footing. So, yeah, a lot of these guys still fresh legs and still trying to warm up. Um, the USA recorded 20 shots on the night with 5 on target, while 7 of its 9 corner kicks came after subs, which in my opinion helped out a lot. Uh, you could tell those first guys out there once they started the second half just were struggling, struggling to generate any type of offense. And yeah, they were being carried. Uh, I would say uh, Cade Cow, who was sensational, the best guy, best player on the field for both sides, was just killing it. He was gaining, getting the ball, letting it go, getting it back, and um, I would say threatening positions to score. And yeah, he, he had a few shots that we're coming here and go. Um, yeah, he, he stood out above the rest in the squad in the 72 minutes that he played. Oh, by the way, he's only 19 years old. Um, the winger combined well with Jonathan Gomez on the left flank. Alejandro Zendejas was bright as well towards the end when uh, when he got moved centrally, so that kind of helped out. So it's not like they never stood a chance. It's just that their chances came very, very late in the game. Uh, yeah, once the sum came in, the U.S. played way better in that second half. Uh, we had Paul Riola, Matthew Hoppy, Eric Williamson, Taquan Jones, and Aaron Long come in. Uh, all kind of turned it around for them, but too little too late in my opinion. Uh, Gaga Solina, who had, who was chosen, who chose the U.S. over the Poland as his national team, was very good in goal in my opinion as well, especially with two big saves in the first half. He could have... Probably could have done better was to set up the wall and that first goal and that equalizer. But hey, you know, growing pains. Like I said, uh, has this is his first cap, so he's going to learn. But uh, his defenders also kind of failed him in part. But it is what it is. Uh, Alejandro Zendejas, who has been heavily courted by Mexico, was, like I said, great. He was exceptional, building an influence as the game went on, especially after he moved into the center, as I said, in the final 30 minutes. Jonathan Gomez was solid at left back, and although he showed like some defensive defensive lapses, lapses, some vul- vulnerability. V- dang it, I'm trying to use big words, but it's not working out. Uh, he made some little mistakes. He could fix on that. His attacking combo was Cal was great though. Um, in the end, yeah, it was not the best of night for the U.S. Um, it a lack of attack was was obvious uh, lack of cohesion a lack of chemistry uh yeah <laughs> it was not popping on the night for the u.s so hopefully after that they could go to the back to the drawing board and try to work out some kinks but obviously that came around quick which i'm gonna say i'm saying this with the two games that they played not just with the serbia game uh they could look back at this game and move forward and try to figure out something different um it was just the fourth meeting all time between the U.S. and Serbia, with the U.S. posting a 0-3-1 record now since their first meeting. So, no wins, three losses, and one draw. So, yeah, they're going to have to work on some things with the younger guys and get them acclimated with playing at a international and or higher level of football. Because, yeah, you guys can't be going out there making silly mistakes and giving up goals like that. It's, it's, it's a bad look, in my opinion, so... Yeah, they're going to have to work something out down the line with some of these new guys if they plan on bringing them in on a later date. Because there's no way you're going to crack the first team. You're not going to crack the A team with the European guys like Pulisic. You got Aronson. You got McKenney. You got Tyler Adams. Like, there's no way. Like, come on, guys. Like, you, you, you have to have played better, in my opinion. And like I said, I'm not trying to overreact, but... You could tell they were struggling out there. So I'm going to give them the benefit of a doubt. You know, first time for everything. You know, give it a good a good try next time, okay, guys? You could do it. Trust me. But, of course, um, they had to turn it. Them, they themselves, the actual players, had to turn it around quickly as they had a second game on the 28th of January on Saturday in which, hey, 
spoiler alert, I was there. I was able to see this game live. So, sorry for the lack of content. If you follow us on Instagram and Twitter and also TikTok, I did post some things here and there that I was live. Uh, I was able to enjoy the game. Uh, it was a packed house, uh, according to uh, Dignity Health Sports Park representatives and their social medias. It was a sold-out crowd of 27,000, which I somewhat believe. I think the premium t- seats were a little empty, but everywhere else it was full. It was loud. Uh, there was a lot of Colombians, so uh, a lot of national team pride. Uh, the Colombian national team, I would say they're highly touted, even though they didn't um, qualify for this past year's World Cup, but I'm pretty sure... They should qualify for the next one. Um, Yeah, there was a lot of yellow in the crowd. It almost felt like an away game. Uh, I was supporting the U.S., obviously. Um, But yeah, uh, it was interesting. My first international game of footy, which was cool. Um, I got to see it from the grass berm, which they have at Dignity Health Sports Park. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) got to sit on the grass, see some soccer, hear the crowd. Uh, however, the game did end nil-nil. It was 0-0 the whole time. But I would say it was a good nil-nil. You had chances on both sides. Uh, I would say the Colombians also uh, put out um, a secondary team. So yeah, I would say equal opportunity for both sides to make something out of nothing. But it is what it is. Um, I would say I had a really good time at the game. I didn't have to be entertained with a high scoring or a U.S. loss. As long as, you know... It was a good time for everybody, and everyone went home happy. It was all good in the hood. But uh, moving on into the game, uh, yeah, it was a, a slightly different lineup uh, as we you know, gave some other newcomers a chance to start and see how they favored in the game. Uh, let me see. I have the starting lineup. Where did I put it at? I had it here in my notes, and now it disappeared. What happened? Oh, well, but, um, yes. So what do we got? We had, da, 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 and now I'm losing it. <laughs> Where'd it go? Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. what do I have here? Okay. Starting defender. Oh, newcomers. Now I'm just going to go over. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Uh, we had new people, the starting defenders. We had John Tolkien and forward Paxton Erickson, as well as the substitute defender, Sam Rogers and forward Emmanuel Sabi all made their international debuts. As a record, 12 players earned their first caps during the two matches of this January camp. So, yeah. um, It was a a slew of new faces once again. Which I think is beneficial. Because, yeah, like we have a lot of of our European guys, you know, in season. So, we're not going to see them anytime soon. But, uh, yeah, um... It's hard to comment on the game when not a lot happened, but it it kind of started getting hot more in the second half, I would say. Uh, the South Americans outshot the U.S. 12-5. to, 12 to 5. Uh, The U.S. men's national team had better quality scoring opportunities, in my opinion, on the night. And they had two shots on goal to just one of Los Cafeteros of Colombia. Uh, both teams had a few last gasp efforts in stoppage time with Kellen Acosta. Sending in a free kick just out of the reach for substitute forward Brandon Vasquez. Colombian captain Frank Fabra, I think that's how you say it, uh, provided Colombia with a last threat driving down the left side of the box and hitting his shot wide after some solid defense from teenage center back Jalen Neal, who also came in as a sub. The U.S. men's national team is 3 13 5 in 20 all time meetings in Colombia. In the last meeting, Los Cafeteros earned a 4-2 win against the U.S. Men's National Team on October 11th, 2018 in Tampa, Florida. The U.S. Men's National Team last defeated Colombia in a 3-0 win on March 9th, 2005 in Fullerton, California, which I would probably say was most likely at Titan Stadium down there in Fullerton University. Cal State Fullerton, shout out to them. But uh, yeah, um, I would say, I, in my notes, I, I agree with what I wrote. <laughs> um... Yeah, you could tell that Colombia had the front foot in the beginning and you kind of saw the same thing from the Serbia game where they looked a little uneasy because once again, like I said, never played with each other. So they they were unsure on what to do, but they kind of got a little together towards the, the second part of the first quarter. So 
yeah, I would. It was a better showing. Oh, here we go. Here's the lineup. Um, this is what I was looking for. So the starting lineup that they had, they had Sean Johnson in goal this time, who, by the way, just signed a new contract with uh, Toronto FC. So um, no longer was New York City the club where he won his lone MLS championship. Uh, Walker Zimmerman. We had Walker Zimmerman, Tuan Jones, Paxton Harrison, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, uh, John Tolkien, Matthew Hoppe, Aaron Long, Eric Williamson, and Kellen Acosta cap being captain on the night. But yeah, um, I would say we had a little bit more experience on the field with Hoppy, Long, Acosta, and Ariola. You see that they were going one and two in tandem. Uh, way better chemistry, especially with Ferreira and Ariola, who play with each other, obviously. Um, but I felt like you had a little more skill going down the flank with Hoppy, who every time they just launched the ball, he would get it. He would bring it down with a very simple touch of his foot or chest it down which was remarkable because, like I said, I've never been to an international match. I've never seen any of these guys ever play, basically. And it blew my damn mind. I'm like, wow, like, these guys are actually good. Like, Hoppy, like, I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think he made the U.S. roster to the World Cup, but you could tell why he's he's good. Like, he should be playing with the U.S. Um, Ariola and Ferreira, I think they make a very good tandem, but I think for them to be able to make it further into u.s cup game like well u.s games basically it's you get me you get him one of those situations okay, i feel like when Ferreira is by himself he struggles same thing with Ariola struggles but when they're playing with each other obviously they play at fc dallas together they know one another they know where he's gonna go they know where that was gonna go they know who's gonna be where so it was a good game overall with them you could tell the skill was there the the knowledge of where to go was there and in the end, it was a better performance. Uh, it was just a little sad that they, you know, couldn't get a goal. Uh, they did have one one chance in which, um, yeah, I think it might have been that Kellen class the free kick. Uh, yeah, the ball came into the middle. The shot was taken, and it took a deflection off a defender and bounced off the post and out of bounds for a corner, which was you know a bummer it was the, probably the best chance the u.s had all night but it is what it is um overall it was a good experience uh, i had a lot of fun uh would i go back to one of these games yes of course uh maybe not one of those wednesday night games because around this time it does get chilly another reason why i've never gone to one of these games was whenever the u.s does come out here um it's raining <laughs> if you guys believe me or not but yeah, it does rain here in California. And when it does rain, it pours. So yeah, it, it does kind of fall upon if if you can go to these games. Uh, it wasn't There wasn't a lot of people at the Serbia game. I heard tickets were going about $90 a pop and, and the cheap seats, which is shocking. Um, I didn't pay that much for mine. I think I paid like $30 to sit on the grass with a blanket. Uh, I did get kind of chilly though. The, game, the kickoff was at 4.30. Uh, around that time nowadays, the the sun starts to set, and uh, where the stadium is located in Carson, they're by the beach, kinda. So it got a little chilly for me. All I had was my my lone USA jersey and a jacket and some pants. So it did get a little bit cold, but yeah, I survived. But yeah, it was a, a fun time. Uh, I wanted to go into with the supporter section where the US supporters were, but it, it got quickly filled up with a mixture and array of everybody so that was not happening uh if you go on to i believe tiktok or even our instagram i think it's still up i'm not 100 sure but um there is some footage yeah it was a packed house it was full to the brim but like i said it was, it was, i was worried it was gonna be more of an away game which it did kind of feel like that at times but you did get some good usa chants coming in and out so kind of made up for it but yeah um just to go just say one more thing i think these games are still beneficial um i heard some pundits on the internet saying that this was a waste of time uh why do we have this i think it was just basing it off the fact of the columbia game because i think although these games and i like i've been saying you shouldn't be overreacting i think they're still beneficial in the way that you see some new faces 
some guys that you don't usually get to see, you know, get some call-ups, get, get some experience, get some in the cap. You know, this might be the only time they get to, you know, represent the U.S. And we have a lot of, um, how would you say, double nationals out there. Uh, you know, this, you know, can help cement them in representing the United States and not going to any other country that, you know, they decide to go represent. So, although it wasn't the prettiest soccer, it wasn't the prettiest of football played on the pitch, on the field, you know, you're, you're still, like, I highly doubt any of these guys, these players are like, man, like, we suck, like, we didn't do so good, like, like yeah, you don't want to lose, but I feel like for a lot of these guys, it was an opportunity to show people that, hey, I could play international soccer, I can get up to another level, a different area of the game. So if you need me, I'm available. Hello. But yeah, um, it wasn't the best thing to watch. It, it did kind of hurt the eyes in that Serbia game. But like I said, it was the first time playing. So give them the benefit of the doubt. And hopefully next time, if there is a next time, when they get a new coach, when things are a little bit more organized in the U.S. men's national team organization, um, that these players get another shot and show them, hey, we're not playing in Europe or we may not be in season, but we can still play with the best of the best and represent this country because I think that's what they should be focusing on. So, so yeah, that's uh, my take and my experience at this U.S. men's national team January camp. So, what? N- no winning results, but I think we we got to see some something new things that we could develop on things that we could get better on as as a country in the sport so it is what it is but yes that was uh the u.s men's national team january camp in full yes so moving on now in our programming again we are now almost time to wrap up but first we have to go through the warm-ups so for this week's warm-up topic i'm gonna be talking about referees and sports which the past couple a week or so weeks week whatever a couple okay look in the nba and nfl they've been having some problems and it's starting to get a little irritating just due to the fact that although there is human discretion there is human mistakes that happens all the time it's starting to get to the point where it's like okay they make mistakes but then where are the repercussions who gets in trouble what happens? Because there's tons and millions of cameras now at all these sporting events. And although in real time it may be difficult to see what happens to on a play or to a player, um, I never really hear like, hey, this referee has been like released or shown the door or find X amount of money. In which doing some research, I have found out that a lot of these referees are all part-time workers and we should probably respect that. However, for two really big leagues and two really big companies, how come they're not full-time? How come they're not focusing on just on refereeing? How come no one's, like, going over these things? Like, I think they go to camps. I think they go to some sort of school because you have to learn the rules and regulations and whatever else comes from it. But it's very daunting when I turn my TV on and it shows LeBron James having a hissy fit on the court because he didn't get called a foul. And... I'm not a LeBron James lover. I will never be a LeBron James lover. But when I turn on my TV and I see a wrong not being done right, it's very disappointing. And yeah, um, so some context. Uh, the Lakers were playing the Celtics, you know, a rivalry game. Uh, I believe the score was 102 to 102. Uh, it was tied. And LeBron, for the first time this season that I haven't seen, he wasn't trying to shoot a three to shoot a three-pointer for a certain reason. Um, he wasn't trying to shoot a three-pointer. For some reason, I don't know why he wasn't trying to do that, but um, he actually went in for a layup to win the game, threw the ball up in the air, let go of the ball, and it gets hit in his hand, in his arm. And for some strange reason, there was no foul called on the floor. And now you just see LeBron jumping up in the air, slamming the court, slamming the ground, saying, Where is the foul? Hello? And I think already at that point, they had already used the challenge, so. There was no cough call made on the floor. It's like, bruh, 
And then what makes the matter worse is that there's a bunch of pictures of the referee staring right at the guy that fouled LeBron James. What the hell, bro? Like, come on, guys. Like, I, I, like I said, there's human error in all these things. But when there's blatant evidence that he got hit in the hand, in the arm, oh, whatever you want to call it. Like, where's the call? And then the the funniest thing was Patrick Beverly during the over OT walked up to referee, grabbed a camera from a cameraman on the side of the court, showing him photo evidence that LeBron James was fouled in the act of shooting. Cause I'm pretty sure LeBron would have made at least one free throw, at least, and won them the game. It's just fairly disappointing, in which I have not seen any repercussions at all in regards to um that no call on the floor so it's it's just weird and even even okay here we go more info um the referees union and this is what the union wrote in a tweet like everyone else referees make mistakes maybe one of the one we made one at the end of last night's game, and that is gut-wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Oh, man. You know, that that's just, it's costly. It's costly. Yeah, the, I don't know. Um, According to this article that I quickly just looked up, Saturday's game, Marked at least the fourth time in recent weeks that the Lakers believe in late game call went against them in what became a loss. Um, LeBron James says, I don't see it happening to nobody else. So, yeah, it's it's very odd. I don't think they've done anything about it yet. So, uh, all you can do is hope to, um, how would you say, improve upon it. So, Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Oh wait, it did. <laughs> Not in NBA, but in NFL. Um, it seemed as though the refs and I didn't want to mention it in um, the NFL portion of this, but it looked like the refs were just kind of calling calls all over the place for the Bengals, in which it didn't really seem fair at some point. And and I, I want to put anything specific, but it just came too annoying where it's like dang another flag another flag another flag another flag another flag another flag and it's like dude like what the hell is your guys's problem and it's not the first time that something like this in nfl happens um for example i believe it was the chiefs and oh, dang who are they playing i think they're playing the titans and there was a bunch of no calls toward the end of the game where so much so that the ref literally retired after the game because it just, it was just blatant. It was, oh my gosh, like, how could you? And then, you know, I don't know if it was the same weekend or wherever it was, but everyone's going to know what I'm going to say when the Saints and the Rams, there was a no call, no PI called. It was just, what was the ref looking at? What were the, all of the referees looking at? Did no one come together and say, hey, um, that should have been a pass interference, but it was never called. It was never discussed. It was like, oh my gosh, like this is just egregious. Um, but looking up some info in regards to at least the NFL and how they handle this. So basically, like I said, a lot of these guys are part-time and NFL, they're also part-time. So the way it kind of works, you don't get fined, but you get written up in the sense that in regards to what games you get to call or go to. So a lot of these guys, you know, get written up for, okay, you missed or missed called a foul here on these games and you cannot call whatever games X amount. And uh, basically you have a crew of NFL officials who go game the game and for each position, they get judged on their performance. And from there, and other NFL officials decide what games you're going to call down the line in the playoffs, divisional round, wild card, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, into the Super Bowl. And that's how they're decided on who's going to officiate um, 
what games. And it's interesting to me when I found out doing research that these guys are just part-time, which I think it's interesting because they have regular jobs, they have regular families, they have regular lives, but you're telling me that the NFL can't hire full-time officials? What? And apparently this is the same thing, I believe, also in the MLB, where it's like, okay, we're going to have these people come in, they're going to you know, learn the sport, and you know, if they suck, then they're just not going to call other games. But it's like, what do you mean? If they suck, like, why, why can't we get better people that don't suck? Does that make any sense? <laughs> I know I kind of just jibber-jabbered there for a second. But how are you going to come at, at the fans who get upset over human error but be inconsistent with your refereeing choice, your refereeing tactics, and your refereeing organization? Because what it is, what's coming down to is consistency. Like, I don't think no one has a problem with fouls. But I think what everyone is having a problem with is the consistency. Like, I don't want to turn on my television, watch a game where... Well, for one, the game is just sloppy. It's terrible sporting. And then, on top of that, you're just cheating, calling fouls. You know, it's all over the place. And... That's what happens in some of these games where it's like, oh, it's a back and forth affair. And then it gets judged on not just a foul or a penalty, but a foul or a penalty that's missed or called out of proportion. And it's like, oh my gosh, like what the hell just happened? And it, it does come, come down to some of these situations where you don't want to let the refs dictate the game for you. But it, it's gone to this point where it's like, what? And you don't know what to do or what to say. Um, of course, I'm I, I'm 100% sure that each league, you know, does background checks on all the referees to see, hey, you have no hatred or any bias toward the team or a person. Because I think what was the, the late 90s, early 2000s, the, in the NBA, they had a, a large betting and cheating scandal with with the NBA referees where they're like betting and calling calling games for themselves so they could win. And yeah, you don't want that. I think uh, Allen Iverson said it best to a referee. Uh, he came across one day in the game and he said, how long is this going to, how long is this going to last? And the referee looks at him like, what do you mean? And, and I believe the discussion went like Iverson knowing that the referees had it in on him. Uh, for example, Allen Iverson had a tendency to cradle the ball for like a very split second, which, you know, it's nothing, not that he was carrying the ball, which I wouldn't say it was a travel, but for certain reason, with specific refs, they would always call it on him. And he was just like, dude, really? And that's when he confronted them like, hey, I know what's going on here. Like, like this is no joke. But... These are not WWE referees. You're not supposed to help anybody else in the game. Like, gosh. Ugh. It's just, it's getting to the point where they got to figure out something to not just ref, but manage, operate consistency on the court, on the floor, on the field, on the pitch, wherever it may be. So hopefully the NFL, NBA, MLB, whoever can figure out something if not they're gonna have to move to like refereeing in the AUDL you know ultimate frisbee where you get to call your own fouls because yeah it's ridiculous at this point because you, you should not be having that be a focal point of the game so yeah that was our our warm-up section of the day uh nothing too long nothing too crazy I think uh, I just wanted to kind of dive in into that and go over some things so yeah I hope you guys appreciated that and kind of learn something about how the refereeing system works here but uh yeah okay yes we are now at the rundown for today's show uh, it's been nice rambling with y'all so far with myself of course and uh we're just gonna kind of do some housekeeping nothing too crazy in this week's um rundown of rambling runoff but um yeah uh 
I guess we're gonna do like I guess the countdown portion of the show <laughs> before we get into uh, bigger details and other other athletic sports. Uh, the MLS is about 25, 24 days before the start of the season. Whenever you're listening to this, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping forward to a great MLS season. Oh, hopefully we get to do a a podium show prior to that. So yeah, um, keep your ears and eyes out for that. And oh, look at that! More breaking news. Um, according to Fox Soccer, um, rumored uh, LA Galaxy and FC Barcelona are rumored to have reached an agreement for the 20-year-old fullback Julian Araujo on a loan. Which now looking at it, um, everyone's talking about it. Okay, great. Um, it's uh, supposed to be a seven million purchase with uh, a loan with the seven million option purchase clause. Okay, according to this one, it's about four million transfer. About could be oh, Fabricio, please explain. Um, what do you got? Um, both sides must yeah, must come to an agreement. Barcelona are closing in on a deal to sign Julian Rajo. An agreement has been reached. Uh, understand it's a permanent deal from the Galaxy for a fee of four mil. Uh, contract will be until June twenty twenty six. For Julian Araujo with second team Barca B, all it is looking for right now is one more step, which is an MLS approval. So it is still kind of semi-rumored, but Fabricio is consistent on all the stuff that he said. So we'll have to uh, continue to see what happens. Uh, look on our socials, specifically on Twitter at Rambling Runoff or at um well yeah, look up <laughs> Rambling Runoff on Twitter, and we'll see where that goes from there. But yeah, look at that. But yeah, I'm back to what I was saying before. About 24, 25 days left out into the season. So looking forward to a, a great Major League Soccer season. Um, What else we got here? We are less than 20 days from the start of the 2023 season for the XFL. So that sounds like fun. And, and for the USFL, we are less than 24 days from the start of the USFL season for kickoff. So from one football to another, we're fairly close to the start of the season's. Um, some NBA All-Star news, which will be in Utah on Sunday, February 19th, live on TNT. Uh, we got some starter pools for um, each conference. Uh, for the Western Conference, we have LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic, uh, Nikola Jokic, and that's how I say it, and Zion Williamson. For the East, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, the homie Alvaron Enzones, Donovan Mitchell, and to round it out, we got Jason Tatum. So, it's good. It should be. I feel like this is a pretty good starting five for both sides. So, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the rest of the pools look like and uh, see who comes out on top. Remember, February 19th in Utah, Sunday, uh, live on TNT. NBA All-Star Game. We also have the NHL All-Star Game. Actually, this weekend, this weekend, the NHL All-Star Game will be occurring in which uh, there will be um, different, uh, how you say, uh, skill challenges. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, the NBA All-Star, NBA, the NHL All-Star Game will be taking place on February 3rd and 4th, hosted by the Florida Panthers in Sunrise, Florida. The All-Star Skills Competition is scheduled for Friday and will be broadcast on ESPN, ESPN Plus with all the All-Star Game All-Star Game slated uh, for Saturday uh, broadcasted uh, will also be simulcast on ABC as well as ESPN Plus. Participants in the specific skills competitions um, will be released um, around the weekend but will include events with the signature South Florida influence along with the future, with the return of classics like Fastest Skater, Hardest Shot, and Breakaway Challenge. The entire list of 44 All-Stars has been revealed, with one represented for each team along with 12 who were voted by the fans. So, yeah. Uh, looking at the list of the All-Star events, we have a Slapshot, Pitch and Puck, Tendi Tandem, and what was it? Oh, Fastest Skater, Hardest Shot, Breakaway Challenge, and Accuracy Shooting. So, yeah, um... It should be fun. Uh, I'm gonna try to check it out. Um, like I said, I I barely went to my first hockey game not too long ago, so it should be a fun time for everybody. Um, hopefully, yeah, I could check it out and see what's popping with these skill challenges. I've never really watched um, 
NHL All-Star games. So, yeah, it should be interesting. So, yeah, uh, you can catch the All-Star Skills Challenge February 3rd, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, ESPN Plus. And you can catch the NBA, uh, NBA. Gosh damn it. I keep saying it. The NHL All-Star game, the actual All-Star game, Saturday, February 4th, 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and ESPN Plus. So, looks like a good time for everybody on the ice. Um, Moving on with a little bit of NASCAR news. We have the Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum Sunday, February 5th on Fox. And after that, we have the granddaddy of them all for NASCAR. We have the Daytona 500 at yeah, Daytona 500 at Daytona International Speedway in Daytona Beach, Florida. You catch that on Fox. And what day is that? Oh my gosh, why did I write this down? <laughs> um, that would be on February 19th at 11.30 a.m. Once again, you can watch it on Fox. And then we also have... Oh, I almost forgot this. Uh, the MLB season will start March 30th with 15 games on the day. Um, I could read you guys some of the games that are going to be going on. So, for all my old school baseball lovers out there, let me see MLB. Da, 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 da. Here we go. Opening date March thirtieth, twenty twenty three. All times are in Eastern Time Zone. So, starting out the season will be the Atlanta Braves versus the Washington Nationals. Then we got. The Giants and the Yanks, Orioles and the Sox, um, Brewers, Cubs, Lions, Rays, Phillies, Rangers, um, Pirates, and uh, the Reds. What I was about to say, I don't know what that was about to say. Pirates and the Reds. Then we got um, going more into the West Coast. We got the Rockies and the Padres, uh, Blue Jays and the Cards, uh, Twins and the Royals, Mets and the Marlins. White Sox versus the... Oh, we got a rematch here. White Sox versus the Astros. The Battle of the A's. We got the Angels versus the Athletics. Then we got the... um. Then to close out the night, we got the Diamondbacks going up against the Dodgers. And the Guardians going up, going up against the Mariners. So yeah, that was the MLB opening day lineup. So yeah, um, I think that's everything we got for today's show. Uh, thank you for sticking around if you liked hearing my voice all this past hour or so. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I guess, yeah, we'll start wrapping things up. Uh, thank you for listening to Rambling Runoff. If you're listening on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Like the video. Thank you. We appreciate it. If you're on Spotify, give us a good review. If you're on Stitcher, same thing. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you're using your Amazon Alexa, thank you so much. Google Podcast, thank you so much. Who am I listening? What, who am I forgetting? Um, oh, Google Podcast. No, Google po- Apple Podcast. There we go. Apple Podcast. Um, if there's any other podcast format that I'm forgetting, thank you. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Um, if you want to hear more from me, from Rambling Runoff, you can follow us on Twitter at Rambling Runoff. You can also find us on Instagram at Rambling Runoff, at TikTok as well. So, yeah, um, thank you so much again. I've been your host, Robert Reels. Thank you for rambling with me. See you guys next time. Peace out. Woo!